Thank you guys so much for being here. This is going to be week number three in a series that wasn't really a series. It was just going to be uh, one week where I was sharing with you a passage of Scripture that's super popular throughout the New Testament, even though it's a passage that happens in the Old Testament. It's a story that happened in the Old Testament that many New Testament writers refer to. One of the watershed or benchmark moments of the Old Testament, the children of Israel, the story of the Jewish people and their faith. And um, many writers, authors refer to it as one of the things that helps them live this life of faith that God's asked us to live. And so we started off in Matthew weeks ago, and we started off Matthew 25, and then moved back to Matthew chapter 5, and then we went to Hebrews, and then we talked about the story of the children of Israel getting ready to cross the Jordan River, and two different times we sort of mentioned it, and then I thought, why not go ahead and dive in? Why don't we go ahead and look at this story again? And it's been three weeks. We've called it uh, Ten Toes In. This is the third week. We're covering a super simple passage, a super simple story. It only really takes up just a few verses in Joshua, but one that is profoundly influential, important for us to really own or to wear. I look at the, the Word of God and this story in particular as like a lens, like a pair of sunglasses with a specific lens, and you're wearing this story, and you're viewing the world around you, and it's shaping your worldview, the way you see people and opportunities. And, and I think that as we do that, we change, our heart changes, our perspective changes. We become more the people who God wants us to be. One of the things that's true, even more true, even I think this week, um, than it even has been in, in other weeks, and that is that our responses as Christians reveal our character. Our responses to things that we like, our responses to things that we don't like, our responses to trials, our responses to victory, our responses reveal our character. And as we talk about this particular story, we're going to be talking about responses, things that look like trials, that actually end up being blessings, and then what a twist of plot or perspective that in fact all trials or scary things can end up being blessings. And so we're going to begin today with an introduction from the book of James. And uh, then we're going to jump right back to Joshua in a story that we've been working on together for the last two weeks, and we will finish this week. At least they're going to get across the river this week. I already ruined how it ended, right? All right, there. you can leave. I already told you how the story ended. I assume that you know how the story ended since I said it's when they crossed the river. We're going to get to them to the other side. Then we're going to put a pin in it and come back next week and talk about what they did next. But I want to talk about James chapter 1 just as a way or measure of introduction to get us sort of prime, the pump prime to, to really wear this or see the world through this scripture and have our lives changed by it. And this is James. This is James talking about the reality of the fact that scary things, big things, things that get our attention, things where we know that we have to have God's supernatural help, things come into our lives. This is James talking to a group of people who were formerly Jews, they had become believers and they had been persecuted, not because they're obnoxious, not because they were trying to argue with people in, in the social uh, media and, and you know, at work and trying to just beat people into submission with logic and anger and everything, but because they were living out their faith in a genuine way in a world that was set up to not allow a life of faith. And James is talking about the fact that we're going to go into, or we are in, or we've just come out of really difficult times, a Jordan River sort of experience. God has blessing on the other side intended for us, 
but yet the process is sometimes really scary. And so here James is talking about trials. He's talking about these things. And I just want to work through this together. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Let's stop it let's, right here and let's talk about this word consider. And I just want you to check your own heart, to look at your own life and how we respond to difficult times, to scary things, to things that seem bigger than what we can manage that we can endure, things where we know we need supernatural help to get through or to the other side. And James is telling us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to consider it joy, not to wait for joyful feelings to well up within us, not to wait for the emotion to control us, but to choose or consider to decide that even though I'm going through something that seems big, I'm going to have joy. He says, my brothers and sisters, because we're believers in Jesus Christ, whenever we face trials, now in this little phrase, there's a word, a Greek word that's buried in here that's only used two other times in the New Testament. And it's an important sort of a a word because when it's only used a couple of times, it means that James, as he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was trying to decide what word to use. And I sometimes have a hard time deciding what word to use. Um, Actually, I have a hard time remembering what word I'm trying to remember sometimes. I think it's because I'm 52 and I don't think it gets any easier, but, but James is like, man, how can I describe it? These times of trial, these scary things, these big things, these things that may lead to blessing, but things where we need God's help, they come up, but how can I describe it perfectly? What words can I use? So he uses a word or word picture that occurs two other times. One time it was in the story of the Good Samaritan. And the story of the Good Samaritan, if you know this story, if you haven't grown up in church like some of us here, maybe you are unfamiliar with it, I'll give you the synopsis. It was a man who was walking down a trail known to be dangerous, but also, luck of the draw, you may walk down this trail with no issue. And as he was walking down this trail, he was attacked by a group of uh, robbers, muggers, thieves, and beaten within an inch of his life. And the word was used there, the same word here, that as you are just bebopping down a trail on your way, thinking about tomorrow, working, you know, sort of in advance, motions are great, you're expecting nothing but a good day, and then somebody hops out and beats you half to death and leaves you for dead. The second word, or the second time that this word is used is when the Apostle Paul was talking about a storm that he faced in a ship. And he said that they were sailing along. It was a great day, just like any other day, thinking about tomorrow, gentle breeze into the sails at their back and a nice sun on their face, and that they hit a spot where two oceans collided. And the storms came, the wind got uh, crazy, the water got rough, and They were in the middle of a life-threatening experience. And so we look at this and say, well, it could be one of two things. It could be somebody doing something to us. It could be life bringing something to us that we weren't expecting. But trials are going to happen. Whenever we face trials of many kinds, consider it joy because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. So the perspective here, this worldview here, is that when we go through these trials, The testing of our faith is going to reveal how much confidence we have in God and his character and his nature. It doesn't reveal it to God, it reveals our faith to us. It reveals our faith to others. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here it is. 
When we're going through these times, whether we are leading up to a time, whether we are in the middle of a time, whether we've just come through the time, don't leave the gym early. Don't keep looking for the exit. Don't keep trying to escape. Embrace it. Allow God to shape and strengthen our faith so that when we go through, our confidence in God will have grown, we'll be more the people he wants us to be, and we'll have greater perspective and understanding about what God wants for us in this lifetime and in this world. If we lack wisdom, we should ask God who gives generously without finding fault because God will give it to us. James talks about Jordan River experiences. You and I have Jordan River experiences. I wonder how many of you in here are going through one, a time that's scary, that's a little bigger than you can handle, a time when you need God's blessing or his help in your life. If you're not going through one in here, if you're like, whew, things are really pretty good. I think I'm all right. Would you consider that it's very likely that the person sitting next to you is going through one? It may be a spouse, a child, a friend, or even a stranger, somebody you don't know but they're going through a Jordan River experience where they are in a little over their head, they know they need God's help, and they feel, like my friend described last week, like they're walking through a tunnel, knowing that there's going to be a light on the other end, but not knowing when that light's going to come. Looking for strength, looking for encouragement, looking for hope. Consider it all joy when we face trials things that happen to us, things that are thrown at us, because when we face these things, the quality of our faith is revealed. We find out how much we trust the character and nature of God and whether we truly believe that he's good, that he controls all the circumstances to bring about his will, and whether or not he has our best interest at heart. So let's go to the banks of the Jordan, at least for the last time for a while, and let's finish this story together. And I'm going to do it reviewing a little bit of what we talked about last week, because as I like to say, I know you've slept since then. Early in the morning, excuse me, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites, they set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Now let's talk about this word camping again as a way of reminding you what we discussed last week. The children of Israel were led back to a spot where they had been before, at least their parents had. Their parents and grandparents failed miserably, deciding that they weren't gonna obey the Lord They paid the price by wandering around in the desert, in the wilderness, for a long time until they all died. Their kids were brought right back to the banks of the same river, given the chance to do it right. The river was at flood stage. It was a mile wide. It was scary, and there were people who had to decide whether they trusted God this time. What kind of people were there? Anywhere from 750,000 to 2 million people. I want you to personalize this. I want you to put yourself at the banks of the Jordan River. I want you to realize and remember that there were brand new moms there. Moms who'd had babies that very day. How do you know? Because with at least 750,000 people, you know that there were people who had babies that very day. Moms having to trust God with a brand new baby. Parents with children, vulnerable, 
can't even walk in a straight line, let alone walking them across a river into hostile territory. There were adults with aging parents having to help their aging parents as they walked across this river, worrying about their health and their security. Men and women with every earthly possession, every cent to their name in a wagon, having to trust God with every single thing that they have. No other options. Found themselves camped, waiting, watching, thinking, talking. I asked you last week, who are you camping with? One of the most important things we can learn is that the people we choose to camp with are going to frame the way that we interpret and experience the Jordan rivers of our life. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your faith. Something happened to us this week. Uh, well, it didn't happen to us, it happened to my dog, Daisy. And um, I was thinking about this idea of camping. And dogs, um, they're a joy. They're also kind of a, a pain in the rear end from time to time. They're expensive and they're unpredictable. And on Friday afternoon, uh, I took the dogs out at lunchtime. I was getting ready to run out and meet a friend in West Des Moines to, at a restaurant and I had a few minutes. And so I just grabbed both dogs. I went out and just kind of walked them around the, the block real quick, the park, because my wife wanted them tired and they drive her crazy if they're not tired. And, Came back in, I was gonna change my clothes very quickly and uh, left the garage door open. The door to the house from the garage blew open and apparently Daisy went outside. Now, Daisy was gone no more and she's my standard poodle, 55 pounds, she thinks we work for her. Uh, very aloof, hasn't really bonded uh, with Joy or me. She just kinda does her own thing and expects everyone to, to bend to her will. She was gone, I came back out after changing my clothes and Baxter, the little 12-pound mutt, we're not quite sure what he is, was sitting at the door looking out, you know, Daisy had left and he was telling on her. And so I whistled for Daisy and anyway, I took off, got in the car and took off. So Joy, she calls me and says, what did you do to Daisy on that walk? And I said, I didn't, didn't do anything to her. She said, she's bleeding. She's got a huge gash on the inside of her leg. I'm like, what do you mean, what did I do to her? I don't, I don't kick dogs, you know? And Joy's like, I don't know what happened. And she goes, you need to come home. So we came home. And Daisy had been attacked, run over, something had happened. She had skin peeled off everywhere and puncture marks everywhere. And all of a sudden, the day, we were bebopping through our day, right? Having a good time. Daisy having a good time, not expecting anything. She'd been out on a walk looking forward to a glass of water or a bowl of water. Joy and I looking forward to the rest of our afternoon. Found ourselves in the emergency vet clinic with a really expensive bill. And um, Daisy being stitched back up, I don't know how many, 50 or 60 stitches, um, terrible, you know, nasty wounds, drains, and I didn't, but I'll show you a picture of uh, us. This is us coming home from the vet clinic, and I'm smiling, not because I'm happy, but because there's nothing else to do when you just get a $1,462 bill, and you can't leave your dog there, and, you know, you're just sort of, what do you do? And Joy and I were trying to frame it for each other, because it's not a huge Jordan River experience, right? It's not that big. It's just really, really irritating. And she's like, you know, I can't believe we have to spend this kind of money on this dog and we're waiting for her to get out of surgery and we should feel really worried about her. And, you know, we're like, well, if she passes away, it's only 65 bucks. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding with you. We, we weren't quite there. And I'm like, well, Joy, think of the bright side. Think of the bright side. 
we have a brand new credit card we haven't even used yet and we're trying to get miles. And so if we put it on the credit card, we'll get 28 days to pay it off with no interest and we'll have miles to go somewhere fun. And, you know, we're trying to, to, to well, at least it didn't happen to you or to me or to, you know, somebody else that, you know, human and at least it was a dog. And, and so we're reframing the experience to where when we pick Daisy up, and of course Daisy's in the cone of shame, she's humiliated, we're smiling because after all, it could have been worse. After all, we're still okay. After all, there's always a bright side. After all, we're optimistic. Now here's Daisy, she's not so optimistic. We'll show you the next picture. Um, Daisy's laying there and um, she can't really use her back legs. I didn't show you the injuries because they are gross, but they all happened on the inside of her legs. The doctor thinks she was attacked by coyotes, a pack of dogs, something. They don't know exactly because we didn't see it, but I mean, she's ripped up big time. And little Baxter cried, inconsolable sat at the puppy gate crying. So we finally let them together and that's what Baxter's done for two days. He stays within 12 inches of Daisy and lays there. If he can, he comes up and licks her in the snout. He can't give her medicine. He can't offer narcotic pain medicine or antibiotics or anything else. He can't even give her water. All he can do is just be there with her. And I was thinking about that and they're dogs but one of them's going through a Jordan River, right? And the other one didn't abandon, didn't decide it was the opportunity to take all the bones, didn't hog all the attention from Joy and from me, but decided the only thing that he could do was be there. And so he did. Now Joy's at home with Daisy because she can't walk. We have to carry her to the bathroom and we have to do everything for Daisy. But I guarantee you that Baxter is right there with Daisy wherever Daisy is sitting right there waiting for her to be okay. Who are you camping with? Do you have the kind of friends in your life who if your faith ends up like theirs, you're going to be the person that you want to be and the person God wants you to be? Show me your friends, the closest people to you and I will show you your future. The children of Israel camped on the banks of the Jordan in encampments waiting for three days for something that looks impossible, that looks insurmountable, where only God can do something, has to do something special. And we see these people, just like you and me, having to make a choice. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp. Can you imagine three days? Listening, waiting, watching, talking, wondering, framing, will God, can God, should God. The officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, your Lord and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Remember that from last week? First thing we do when we face our Jordan River experience is to focus on Jesus. Because we can only focus on one thing at a time. Now, let me be a little more specific. Relentlessly order your life where you have a God focus and a Jesus perspective. Ruthlessly eliminate things from your life that distract you from focusing on the things that matter. Now, these are choices. You don't have to make them. Remember the words of Joshua at the end of this book where he says, if you find that following the Lord is undesirable for you, go back and serve the gods of your ancestors. But what does he say? As for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. Focus on Jesus, because I can only focus on one thing. If I'm looking at you, I can't look at anybody else. And here's a secret. I choose where I look. Nobody else does. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it, then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. Remember last week, the walk of faith, the life of faith is living a life that involves going places we've never been before. And places we've never been before are scary. And when we're going with other people, they've never been before. And we know that God knows, but we don't know. And so there's a little uncertainty. But remember from week number one, sometimes we have uncertainty, but we always have clarity. And so what do we do? We don't, we do what we need to do. We do what we know that we're supposed to do. We take that next step. So the children of Israel didn't know what was going to happen, these Jewish people. They didn't know what was going to happen with their babies, with their children. They didn't know what was going to happen with their livelihood, with their possessions. They didn't know what was going to happen with their parents. They had no idea. But they did know what to do next. Then you will know which way to go. Because you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, 3,000 feet between you and the ark and don't go near it. This is the second thing. This is in your notes, by the way, if you have your app. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. Now, that was the second thing we talked about last week. We purify our hearts. We focus on Jesus. We make sure there's no thoughts, actions, or attitudes that are displeasing to the Lord existing within us, because if there are, we're going to miss out on the amazing things that God is going to do tomorrow. Now let's look and see what happens next. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went ahead of them. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Now this is where it gets really interesting. I want you to put yourself in this situation. Put yourself in this spot. Think about your Jordan River experiences, whether they're big, whether they're small. Think about how you react and how you respond. Think about the faith required to decide, do I trust God or do I trust myself? And this is where the rubber hits the road. And this is what's so hard but yet so simple about the way that, that we walk with God. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the raging, flooded Jordan River waters, the scary thing that's too big, where we have to have God's supernatural intervention in our, in our life, where the natural order of things has to be unnaturally reordered or supernaturally reordered. When you reach the edge of the Jordan River's waters, is anybody in that spot right now? What does he say? Go and stand in the river. Man, that's a thinker. God, you haven't parted these waters yet. Have you seen that? I mean, the order of things, God, should be when I get near the really scary thing, you do the miracle, and then I'll go ahead and step in. 
I don't think I can step in the water. How do I know you're going to do it? And we're reminded, choose this day who you're going to serve. Does it seem unwise, unreasonable, unfavorable? Then we always have the choice to go and do life on our own. But as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. So, this is what we say. Um, this water's scary, it's deep, I'm not a great swimmer, God, you know that. I want to put a toe in, pinky toe. I can live without my pinky toe if things don't go well. I'm going to have nine toes out, one toe in. I'd look a little weird in flip-flops if I lost my pinky toe. Not the end of the world, just a pinky toe. God says, no, I love you too much to just let you put your pinky toe in. How about all ten? I don't know, God. All ten? You understand that's everything, right? Yeah, I understand that's everything. Remember, I love you. Remember, I have your best interest at heart. Remember, I control the billions of contingencies in life to bring about my perfect plan. Remember, the only safe place for you to be is right here, in the center of my will, ten toes. And he stands behind us, whispering in our ear and giving us that gentle nudge, not a push, just a nudge. And we say, all right, God. Now, I see us this way. I see people as they're walking toward the Jordan River in a sort of, uh, I don't know, a different stage of faith or life. You got your people in the front who are like, my God's gonna part the waters and they're having a worship service and they're partying and they're like, watch this and you're gonna see and they're just full of faith and excitement. And then you have the people and sometimes I feel like these people way back here at the back and I'm like, look, I'm going because there's nowhere else I should go. I mean, I'm gonna go, don't, don't think I'm not gonna go. But seriously, doesn't this seem a little crazy? I mean, really. I mean, we're going to go because, after all, I mean, it's God and we're going to trust him. But, I mean, you do know how it looks, right? And people are like, are you not going to go? No, no, I'm going. I'm just not super excited about it, right? So you got the one in the front who's just having a party. You got the one in the back who's like, I'm going because, you know, it's the right thing to do. And then you have all of us in the middle somewhere. And the cool thing is about a body, about a church that camps together, is that the strongest of us at the moment take the weakest of us at the moment by the hand and we leave no person behind. And we, together, step into the water. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot or feet in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So let's see what happened as we finish this story together. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, when the rubber hit the road, when the choice was upon us, when there is no other option but to step out, even though they've been told blessing lies at the end, it's a little scary. The priests carrying the Ark of the Lord of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage, just like I told you, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, not a moment before, not one second before, only when they were in, ten toes, in. The water from upstream stopped flowing, 
it piled up in a great heap a long way away. While the water was flowing down to the Dead Sea, it was completely gone. Can you imagine? So, people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and they stood on dry ground. Now, this is really important, this last part. While every single person walked across on dry land, passing the symbolic presence or presence of God, recognizing that my God is powerful, that my God is faithful, and my God is trustworthy. Every single person crossed over. Some probably picking up their pace a little bit, right? I mean, God parted the waters, but I mean, after all, how long is he going to part? And so I'm not a runner, but I could see myself, you know, so all right, let's go. Let's pick up, you know, let's, we don't want to test the Lord. And, and, and then some taking their time, like my friend Bob last week when we had a retired adult lunch, he's like, you know what I would do? I'm like, what? And he said, I've been eating manna for years and years and years. And he said, I would snatch one of those fish out of that water that's piled up in a heap. And I would eat that fish because I hadn't had anything else to eat. And that's what a person of faith does. They aren't worried about whether God's going to let the waters collapse in on them. They snatch a fish out of water that's piled up like a heap and they stop and have lunch. While Israel passed by, the entire nation, the whole nation, completed the crossing on dry land. So, are you facing a Jordan River experience. If not, I promise you the people in your life, those close to you, are. How are you responding and relating, engaging? How are you taking responsibility for their faith? If you are in the middle of a Jordan River experience, are you willing to focus on Jesus? To relentlessly order your life in a way where you can see God. Ruthlessly eliminate things from your life that distract you from seeing Jesus. We choose this day who we serve. Are we willing to consecrate ourselves? To ask God to reveal in us any heart, thought, action, attitude, displeasing to the Lord, to confess it, to be as right as we can, to walk blamelessly before God as much as we're able so that we can enjoy the miracle? And are we willing to step into that water, 10 toes in, because our God is faithful. I've been praying for you all week, and I'm gonna keep praying for you this week, because as James tells us, when things pop up, as unexpected as they are, 
the quality, the integrity of our confidence in God is revealed. And we want to pass the test. Father, thank you for my friends.